Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You're with Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Greetings, one and all. Four minutes past seven, Greenwich Mean Time. That's uh, local time in the UK. Obviously, late afternoon in Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, somewhere a bit earlier in Perth, wherever you are in the world, welcome to TNT Radio, the home of free speech, uh, where we take pride in providing the facts as best we can, expressing our opinions, but flagging them as such, and leaving you to do the thinking, to decide who you agree with and what you believe. Um, in that last hour here on TNT Radio, we got a lot of reaction uh, to the discussion about COVID. And uh, I'll just read you some of the messages here. Mogden, look after yourself holistically. Doctors are men who prescribe medicines of which they know little to cure diseases of which they know less in human beings of which they know nothing. That's not Mogden, that's Voltaire. But thanks, Mogden. Uh, first Voltaire quote for the week. Uh, Chris says it didn't follow lockdown the first time. Well, that's very honest of you. Uh, go and tell the authorities, see what they'll do about that. Ivan says the World Council for Health also has treatment protocols for you, Lembit. Good morning, by the way. Yeah, good morning to you, Ivan. I do take this seriously because I, I don't feel comfortable about what was pumped into my body, especially since I had had COVID anyway. And so my body would have done what bodies have done for over 100,000 years now, which is developing immunity. Now, Holly says, absolutely not, didn't and don't believe uh, COVID. And as for lockups, certainly not. Uh, Holly adds, well, I was going to go to my building site this morning, but might have to delay. Got to see Rick and Natalie. That's good. That's good. Yes. Be late today, Holly. Stay stay with us this morning. Uh, we're going to, there's so much interest in this. We're going to have another guest about the legal status of the proposed lockdown uh yes we've got rosie cornell coming on uh, in the south she's western australian lawyer a lot of you are very interested in this so let's be flexible let's see if we can squeeze in a guest on that subject in this hour i'm pretty sure we can uh coming up also in this hour uh, we've got lucas Ruiz valvo who is that scientific boffin he'll talk about the spark starship launch that's elon musk's giant rocket once again exploded twice on the way up was it a success why does this matter how much does it cost to go to space with elon musk would you trust getting on a rocket that keeps blowing up uh trial and error i suppose and then we've got our morning monday morning roundup of the news uh by the voice of neil liversidge he'll join us as well with his take on what he's seen at the weekend all of that with me Levitovic. but before any of that we're going to go to Gemma cooper of course you have your right to reply you've got your right to say uh whatever you'd like to um mr ted says hi lembert what if you invite kate shemirani uh, and talk to her publicly about detox from the spike proteins she's a bundle of knowledge mr ted i'll see if i can do that uh obviously can't organize it while i'm on air uh but we'll talk about it afterwards and see what we can do you ask we try to provide uh, a couple of comments uh just about some other news stories uh it looks like the voice referendum do you remember that it seems like ancient history now uh, but support for the tt plunges apparently after the uh the no vote in the referendum uh and uh uh the the claim is that in the wake of the voice referendum's failure, about a third of voters now back further talks on Indigenous treaties or truth commissions. Supports plummeted, apparently, revealing a pretty stark decline in public appetite for the full Uluhuru Statement's goals. So it looks like 
the public have turned away. They've respected the outcome of the referendum. Maybe politicians should do the same. Uh, in the first hour, I mentioned the self-styled new leader of Argentina, Javier Millet, uh, who's likened to Donald Trump, but in Argentina. Apparently, he wants to uh, introduce the American dollar. That's the currency in Argentina. Who'd have thought it? Who'd have thought it? South America taking North America's currency. Will that happen? I doubt it, but it's interesting it's been put out there. And then this one surprises me not a lot. Uh, UK government keeps secret files on critics. Uh, apparently, according to RT News, uh, well, actually, The Observer as, as well, uh, the UK government's been caught profiling critics to block them from events. They tracked social media and kept secret files, the Sunday British newspaper claims. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I had my phone tapped when I was working uh, on various East European political issues. That was back in around 1990. I'm pretty sure it was tapped. I'll explain why on another day when it's relevant to what we're discussing. But of course, the British government keeps tabs on people. Why have the Secret Service if you can't spy on your own people? After all, they could be enemies of the state. Woe betide anyone who causes any trouble for the state, a state which had an illegal war in Iraq and killed up to one and a half million people. But hey, who's counting? When you're the prime minister, you can do what you like. Uh, get involved in this conversation at the TNT Radio.live chat. You can also phone in if we've got time, then we will happily take your calls. Just one more comment uh, before I go to Gemma. Uh, Holly says it won't work again. They won't be able to police it. This is about the lockdowns. And it's not about any pandemic. It was always about control. But they were made up when they realized how compliant people would be good point well made holly that's why tnt radio has to exist coming up in a moment it will be Gemma cooper who will never be silenced never be silenced with me lemma topic here on tnt radio it's the stuff it's that division people are talking about and that cluelessness that they want to push today's news talk radio tnt Gemma, good morning again uh 50 minutes since we last spoke it feels like the news is developing have you been? Have had your tea? I've had my tea. Yes, I've had my tea. It's interesting listening to all the comments about, you know, could they lock us down again? And would people do it? I mean, the compliance thing that Holly raised there, that's the key, isn't it? That, that they must have been rubbing their hands with glee when they saw how well programmed everybody was to do what they were told. You know, it was just when you think about what happened over the last three and a half years, and what, what they actually did and how so many people went along with it. I'm just grateful that also it sparked this huge kind of revelatory awakening of the powers that be do not care about us at all. And mm -hmm. suddenly the veil was lifted for so many. And I just hope it continues apace now because this whole kind of um, do as we say, not as we do, and your governments are keeping tabs on you. And it, it really is a big brother world that we're in and always have been. We always have been. It's just now we can see it, you know. Well, that's why we're going to have Rosie Cornell, who has confirmed she's going to come on actually after you uh, to talk about the, the the Western Australian mask mandates from a legal position. So I, I've got the feeling this story is developing. I think this is growing and it'll be interesting to see really as a test case to similar countries, including the UK, whether Western Australians comply. If there is mass non-compliance, very hard to see how you can put a few million people into prison. Uh, especially when you can point out to people like Boris Johnson, the former Prime Minister of the UK, who ignored his own rules, as did the Education Secretary, Mark Hancock. A remarkable situation and hypocrisy in its very worst form. But maybe that's not what you wanted to talk about. 
Well, actually, it is. Hypocrisy in its worst form is exactly yeah. what I wanted to talk about. No, and, uh, I... you know, they weren't the only people breaking lockdown in positions of power, you know, like flying around the world, telling other people not to fly around the world, which is exactly the story I've picked up. Now, this story isn't new today. This story is just it's a couple of days old, but I had to bring it to the table Monday morning because it involves two things that I know. Uh, well, one that gets my back up, and that's the BBC, and the other one gets which gets your back up, which is climate. So this story is a gift to both of us. Um, the BBC is facing calls of hypocrisy, uh, just like we're talking about, after sending a reporter, one of its uh, big name reporters, flying around the world, 20,000 air miles this reporter racked up. He's a lead correspondent for the UK Current Affairs programme, Panorama. So he flies around the world <laughs> to ask why, oh, why in a BBC investigation despite all the green promises of all the governments around the world, why, oh, why are we using more fossil fuels than ever? So he flew to Europe, the Middle East, America, racking up locations like Dubai, Alaska, California, and Berlin <laughs> to say, can you believe this, that the world is doing saying one thing about climate change and doing another. Uh, hello, <laughs> not see what you're doing here, mate. Anyway, apparently, if you're into the CO2 debate, that would have racked up 5.4 tonnes of CO2. And of course, I don't think it would be just him on the plane. It'd probably be a cameraman uh, and, a, and a researcher and a producer, because that's how the BBC rolls. You know, that's it sends a big team because it likes mm. to be important. So the BBC was approached for comment on this. And he says the flights were in economy. So that makes it OK, obviously. Oh, no problem. Then. Yeah. No problem. And they were absolutely necessary and required. Now, I, I've worked in the media all my career. I will, I can assure you that in all these locations, Dubai, Alaska, California, Berlin, Europe, all uh, the BBC's got teams all over the world. And even if you didn't have a team of BBC staff, you'd have stringers. Some, that's what we call them in the trade. They're like freelance reporters, cameramen who can go and do stuff for you. So you could have easily, easily, the BBC could have just phoned up a local news team and said, can you go and get some footage of this and that? And then Richard Bilton, who's the reporter from Panorama, could have voiced it over in a studio in London. He wouldn't have had to left the building. But no, 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 the BBC in its wisdom seems to think it can do this, fly people around the world telling us all to behave on climate. And then when challenged, say, no, it's perfectly fine for us to do that. They're necessary. These flights were required. We sat in a cattle class with everybody else. I mean, poor Richard, you know, <laughs> they were economy darling. And you just think, if this is lockdown all over again. Do as we say, not as we do. We'll tell you the, how the world is. And when we're challenged on it, we will stick to our we will stick to our story. Even the even when the lockdown, it's now emerged that one of you you've brought this up several times. One of the BBC's leading news presenters, who was on television every night telling us to stay at home, broke the lockdown rules himself. So these stories are a gift as they keep coming up. And also, the BBC's come under a lot of fire for this one. Um, it's a license fee for renewal, and people are saying this is the license payers' money, and also. It's control. It's control of behaviour. If anyone's dumb enough to watch this programme and go, oh, yeah, we must do our bit for the climate, when this guy's flown around the world telling us all to do our bit for climate, well, if you watch that and you fall for it, I'm sorry, there's no hope for you. There really isn't. But thankfully, a lot of people are saying, enough's enough now, BBC. You can't keep doing this, telling us what to do and breaking the rules. Why have they got a travel show? I have asked this before. Why have they got a travel show? If we're not meant to be flying. The National Trust has waded in on this. It's breaking news this morning. National Trust is a, an organisation in the UK that tries to look after the heritage of the country. 
They're now moaning that climate change, extreme weather events, they talked about wildfires, fires and floods, are uh, wrecking the, the uh, historical heritage of the country. I want to see the Data National Trust and BBC. I want to see the Data National Trust to show me how 3% contribution to 0.042% uh, of the atmosphere of a benign gas which seems to follow climate, is actually wrecking our environment. But the problem is, Gemma, none of them answer the question because they say the science is settled. The science is pretty settled. CO2 caused by humans can't be doing what it's being accused of doing. But as you say, it's very difficult to get those messages across because, as you know, despite the BBC's charter, they have decided they don't have to have political balance on this issue and scientific balance on this issue, Gemma. And not just any scientific balance uh, or, or counter argument, but it, it just the the rank hypocrisy of it all of mm -hmm. sending a reporter not just to one location, which you maybe could have justified, but mm -hmm. Dubai, Alaska, California, Berlin. It's quite a nice jolly actually for the Panorama mm -hmm. team, which is why I suspect they wanted to do it. You know, you're out of the mm -hmm. office, you're away from home, you're flying around the world. Um, but it's it's the fact that when the BBC was challenged, that, that they was like, no, we're fine, we're we're, we're doing this. And you think that's such a gap between the reality of the situation and their version of the reality of the situation. It's just like Jimmy Savile all over again. We'll make a docudrama about what happened. Therefore, that's the real thing. That's the real truth. We'll tell you all to stay at home and we won't do it because we're just creating a reality. We want the rest of the public to follow. The, the lure of the media, and this is, just doesn't apply to the BBC, when you think about how lockdown was implemented in every country in the world and the, they couldn't have done it without the mainstream media in every single country mm -hmm. in the world. And I think it's the same with this one. It's, it's just control, control, leading us down this, this life that they want us to lead, which is everything monitored, everything surveyed and stay in your homes and don't do anything. The climate and COVID, they're the same thing, isn't it? It's all about behavior modification and you can't do mm -hmm. it without the media. But I think so many people have lost trust in the mainstream media. We wouldn't mm -hmm. be here this morning having a conversation if it wasn't yeah. for the last three and a half years. So I'm hopeful the awakening, if you can call it that, the shift in perception, it was it was slow to start. Then I was saying it was 50-50. I think now it's probably 60-40 in our favor. Maybe one day it'll be 100% and we'll all be saying to governments, don't need you anymore. We don't need any of you. We'll run ourselves. Thank you very much. I, I actually think the victory in Argentina of the uh, self-styled new leader there, uh, Javier Millet, is... A, a fight back it's a reaction to the establishment whether javier is any good or not i don't know i've never met him but he was quite obviously not establishment character and uh let's see if that leads to anywhere there Gemma. thanks as always for your sage perspective um holly says uh <laughs> dud says let's start with dud uh National don't trust, LOL. Thanks for that. Uh, Holly says, National Trust is a dreadful organization, basically stealing and selling off this country's heritage. Nasty bunch of overprivileged, self-serving liars. No, thank you. The country doesn't belong to you. What a smug organization indeed. And then Holly uh, predicates that with, oh, ranty Monday. I think you're probably within the law there, Holly. It's your opinion. Um, Chris says, maybe the National Trust should go around their car parks and ban all petrol and diesel cars mm, yeah we'll try doing that and see how many people are going to show up on bicycles probably not very many national trust and have you got the charging points 
No, because you haven't got the electricity. <laughs> let, let, let a thousand flowers bloom, but you can't charge a thousand or even a hundred cars. Uh, let me know your views about what you heard from Gemma uh, and myself. Uh, you can go to tntradio.life. Uh, you'll find the chat going on there. It's in full speed. Uh, also, you can find phone numbers if you want to get involved in the chat. If you've got time, I shall squeeze you in on the uh, onto the uh, onto the phone line. Um, uh, Rosie Cornell's next. Uh, I'm glad to say we've secured her. Actually, we secured her quite a uh, short while ago uh, because this is a big story now. Uh, it's developing quite a lot of momentum. Uh, Western Australia and the masks mandate. What's right? What's the law say? What can be enforced? And how likely is it to work? All of that with me, Levi Topic, right here on TNT Radio. You should hear what George Eliasson is talking about. Donald Trump's rules. Now, we've talked about the Colorado case, the 14th Amendment case, and the judge has denied uh, the motion to dismiss. Now, if you don't remember, the suit cites the 14th Amendment clause banning those who participate or assist in the insurrection from taking office. And they're making this legal argument based on Trump's actions before and on January 6th. And when they claim that the Thousands of his supporters were creating an act of sedition at the Capitol. During January 6th, um, Trump actually offered to call the National Guard in. He told the protesters to keep things peaceful. And this is all public knowledge. This isn't a political action. They're trying to control once again who can run for the office of president and who cannot. War of the Worlds with George Eliason on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk It's time to switch on today's news talk radio. Very entertaining. TNT. Lemodopic with you. 22 minutes past seven, Greenwich Mean Time. Good early evening, afternoon, uh, whichever you prefer, in Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, good afternoon, quite decidedly, in Perth. Uh, and if you're in Australia, in, in America, thanks for being up. Uh, we already had a guest from there, uh, John Fine, earlier on. Do keep your calls and comments coming. Go to tntradio.live. It's very busy there at the moment. Uh, 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 Holly says, uh, quite right, quite Chris, uh, spot on, uh, just about uh, potential hypocrisy in the in the National Trust, or at least inconsistency, to say at least. Uh, lots of comments, more than I can read out. So do go to the uh, TNT radio.live website and read them for yourself. Now, I promised you we would return to this uh, question of COVID uh, compliance. Uh, and that is what we're doing now with Rosie Cornell, Western Australia lawyer. Uh, thank you for joining us at uh, pretty short notice, Rosie, uh, and uh, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon or good morning to you, Linda. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, it, the, 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 because the world's round, and I'm sure that it is, that's one conspiracy I don't <laughs> subscribe to, the flat earth. Uh, we never sleep at TNT Radio. Um, now, this is all a bit confusing. What is your understanding of what in Western Australia is being proposed or has it already been implemented? Is there a legal basis 
for COVID restrictions again? So at midnight, all hospitals in Western Australia, but only the public hospitals because the government can't tell the private hospitals what to do, were asked to make sure that patients and visitors and staff at the hospitals were wearing masks, especially in the most urgent areas, so where you're having your transplants and you know, ICUs, anywhere where there's people at risk. And it's only a recommendation at this stage. So it sounds like they're getting ready to give us some more mandates. Um, our Premier, Mr Cook, has certainly been saying, oh, but now that the vaccines are waning, we might have to you know, look at recommending people get their boosters again. I'll hold that thought for a minute. I just want to read to you and to our listeners some of the comments coming in, because already you've caused a pretty uh, useful response. Holly says, out of the loop, is that another attempt to bring masks back, I just heard? Western Australia, my goodness, surely people won't fall for that slavery technique again. Uh, that's Holly, quite concerned about it. Um, Matrix Matex says, this rubbish would be over in a week if only the sheep didn't comply to the globalist deep state. Do not comply, is the advice there. And uh, Chris adds, the problem is that the big lie always works, especially if you control the media. Now, um, that's, the, that's the interesting thing from my point of view, uh, that we find ourselves plausibly being presented with the idea that the state knows best, that they have experts, that these restrictions on our liberty are necessary to save us from ourselves or save us from this killer bug, which as has already been pointed out by earlier commentary in the chat, is hardly even relevant to most uh, people's health status. Small number of people will die uh, of flu this this uh, winter and in the UK. Uh, but the, the question I really have for you here, and it, it's essentially coming up in, in the questions that we're having uh, with uh, with those those chats, is there something that the general public can do legally to resist the idea of a further lockdown? Or, Rosie, is this just a done deal if they choose to enforce it? It's hard to say because we had very little traction in the courts and tribunals as to whether anyone could actually enforce the mandates. So the one Western Australian trial that we had was for the police officers and from my understanding we don't have a ruling on that one yet so it's hard to say whether it is actually going to be a done deal that we are going to have to comply in the future considering um, that everyone knows there were really bad outcomes with vaccine injuries and how many people actually got sick from the mask mandate because what people forget is how many people actually wore their masks for hours at a time and they got quite ill mm. and no one talks about that. It's quite strange to me that we're not talking about the health effects and, of course, if we're going to talk about just the masks on their own, the children are still not learning properly. All of the, the young children that were forced to mask up 
this they're a little bit behind in all of their their skills. They have a very hard time figuring out what people are thinking and feeling because they didn't learn those skills because the faces were covered up. So that made a practical difference. Is that a proven fact? My understanding is that in schools, um, they quite openly talk about the fact that children are behind because their faces were covered up during their critical learning times. So children have, I think it's until they're six or seven, to really learn how to read faces and how to... Our, our skills in communication are actually non-verbal. Yeah. Children who so don't know how to pronounce their words properly. On top of everything else then, we have vaccine injuries. We have catastrophic damage to economies. And now we have the social consequence as well. What an unusually poor combination of outcomes. Absolutely. Um, from, from a purely social interactions, I mean, people like me, we were already quietly trying to avoid people and I can assure you there are many people like me who now work from home and we try to limit our interactions with everybody else simply because it's too hard to deal with some people. There are people who who were so militant with their stance about how you had to comply because they were afraid. It's It's been a terrible combination of, you know, decision makers who made decisions out of pure fear. And this actually came out in some of the hearings where, where clients of mine were telling me about what happened when they appeared in different industrial relations settings. And the decision makers didn't want to know about the science because, quite frankly, they were so scared of everything, they didn't like what they were hearing. So I'm not sure how true that is because this is hearsay, but I certainly don't see any reason why these people would sort of say decision makers expressed their idea that they acted out of fear. And I think one of the terrible things we have now is we have this idea that a government must keep you safe at all costs. And then the cost of keeping us safe is so high that the cost far outweighs the benefit. If the government, either at a state level or or a national level, in Australia, chooses to enforce these lockdown procedures again. Is there a legal recourse that could legitimately challenge it based on the apparent ineffectiveness or counterproductiveness of of everything from vaccines to face masks? Imagine, yes, they would. The problem, of course, Hmm. is that for every scientist you put up who says, the vaccines don't work and face masks are ineffective, the government will put up 10 who will say the vaccines are absolutely effective and face masks Mm -hmm. are a must. So you can't really fight it 
on the science because you're just going to have this competition between scientists. And of course, decision makers are not scientists. They are experts at the law. So I know that a few court cases have relied on the law and I've had a few barristers talk me through the argument that the law is where you argue that they actually did the wrong thing, that it wasn't legal. One of the interesting arguments that's arisen in Australia is the Biosecurity Act. So they introduced the vaccines into Australia and they should have fallen under the Biosecurity Act rather than the Health Act. So there's arguments there that they didn't get biosecurity clearance and the TGA, that's the Therapeutic Goods Administration, didn't have the authority to approve the vaccines. Well, that's a whole new, that's a whole legal hornet's nest, which we need to get into in a future occasion. Rosie Connell, thanks for joining us at short notice. Hopefully listeners will appreciate Rosie's uh, generosity with her time. What do you make of what you've heard? Is it helpful? Is it worrying? Are you an optimist? Are you a pessimist? Would you resist if the state tried to do make you do this again? Uh, coming up next, we're going to be talking about space matters and Elon Musk's failed launch or was it a successful launch at the weekend? We're going to get the space scientists to tell us which. All of that with me, Lemmy Topic, on TNT Radio. Here we go again. All right, let's go. go. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Elon Musk has threatened to file a thermonuclear lawsuit against US media watchdog Media Matters, accusing the far-left group of launching a smear campaign against his social media site X. Disturbing footage has emerged of US President Joe Biden walking up to a six-year-old girl and complimenting her ears before asking if she was 17. And Texas Governor Greg Abbott has officially endorsed Donald Trump for president. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's news talk, TNT Radio. Greetings, one and all. Lembidopit with you for another 25 minutes or so uh, here on TNT Radio. Uh, coming up uh, in this half hour, uh, in a moment, we're going to be talking about space. Then after that, we've got our regular weekly look at what's been in the news over the weekend with Neil Liversidge, a uh, very straight-talking northerner in the United Kingdom. But let's go to uh, Italy first. Uh, Luca Cerisa Valva joins us now. If indeed you are in Italy, you travel quite a lot. Space and solar physicist and astronaut trainer. That sounds like a glamorous job, Luca. It is, it is. It's uh, something you can tell your friends and be proud of, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hello. Uh, good morning, everyone. Yes, I'm in Italy, actually, in this moment. Yeah. Uh, I wish I was. Even the bad weather's better than the good weather here. Um, but let's talk about something else. Uh, Elon Musk uh, oversaw the launch of his second giant Starship rocket. It blew up not once, but twice. Tell us what happened and if it was a success or a failure. That's a good question, and I think uh, it's well. I think in the in the industry, it's evident that whenever you need to to test some very new device like this, it takes time. It takes uh, failures. It takes attempts, and then at some point it will work. And definitely, 
I think it was a success from the point of view of the experiment they were running. They were trying to lift it off. They were trying to make it separate. They were trying to make it in orbit if possible, but you know, little by little. So absolutely, uh, I don't think it, it can be considered a failure in any way. Is that Except for the spin? fact that the f- sorry, sorry again? After you. So no, I was just saying uh, it, it's a it failed the orbiting and the complete testing of the, the instrument, but that never happened probably in history. It, it always goes through several steps. Uh, I was going to say that some could argue this is just commercial spin uh, because the first stage separated and then blew up for reasons we don't yet know. And then the second stage got to 24,000 kilometers now, just suborbital speed. I think they're very close to their target speed and just suborbital altitude, which is about 140 kilometers, 48 kilometers. But then it self-destructed. And you could argue that whatever value this thing was, it didn't do what it should have done. Can you explain to me why a multiple explosion can be seen as a success? What does Elon Musk get out of this test? So, as I say, there is probably a quote that I can give, which is a, an Edison quote, which I like very much. And he said, if I made 10,000 mistakes, I'm not, I've not failed 10,000 times. I just found 10,000 ways that won't work. So <laughs> I think this m- makes it clear that uh, this kind of uh, high level, uh, highly innovative experiments, they do need a lot of trial and error to get to the right point. I don't know the numbers really, but I think if uh, if you go back to to NASA experiments uh, in the in the early stages of the space era, there was plenty of explosions and all of them. I mean, uh, rockets going wrong, and this is the way you learn. In some sense, I would I have the feeling that it might be. Um, there might be some ways to make it better at the first attempt not to make it right, to make it better. Mm-hmm. And so to limit the number of mistakes or error or malfunctions that they, they commit. It, it, this is possibly true, but well, it, where is the limit? It's, I don't think there is a quantitative limit that we can give to that. Uh, I was trying to find out the price of each unit, not the overall project. That comes to billions of dollars per year. But the unit cost of launching the Starship Ensemble I I couldn't really figure it out. In some uh, reports, it seems to be tens of millions, uh, in which case Elon Musk can afford it. Do you have any idea how much it costs to to launch one of these things? You may not do. No, I don't have an idea. But, for example, I know more or less the cost of a similar launcher, smaller, of course, but a similar launcher from NASA, which is of the order of $100,000, Hundred million, hundred million. Uh, sorry, millions. Uh, of course, millions. So I think we're talking million, hundreds of millions here for uh, for each attempt. Uh, but uh, frankly, I think again, uh, this is where the, the good and the bad uh, of uh, Elon Musk uh, activity come in. Uh, I think it's good that he can afford it. So we, so humans can go through this uh, new uh, challenges. Uh, someone else might have not. Uh, definitely, national uh, space agencies couldn't afford it, probably at this level. Mm. 
Uh, it's good that you can afford it. On the other hand, it's a commercial operation. So, of course, uh, it's a profit uh, endeavor in some sense. So, I guess it's a, uh, it, once again, it comes with the pros and cons of this, which means, yeah, you can afford it, but uh, could, it be, could it make it better if you had a little bit more control, quality control, or these kind of things that usually are taken a little bit more seriously from space agencies? Uh, so yes, probably yes. But once again, uh, the the there is a gray line here. Yeah, it's a, it's a thin uh, separation which is not really uh, easy to to quantify. Where, where is the, the limit where you can experiment without being sure what you're doing? The central question, no doubt, in the minds of various TNT radio listeners, is this: Why do this in the first place? We have enough trouble on Earth <laughs> not to export our problems to other planets. <laughs> yes. This might be a good way to put it, indeed, <clears throat> and I partially agree that uh, that we should be a bit safe uh, on the side of what we do out there. But definitely, I think uh, that th there are two main reasons. The the basic main reason for me is that humans are curious, humans want want to explore, want to know what's out there. And, and this is definitely one step uh, in that direction. Uh, all of the, the, the space in industry, it's, uh, I don't think this can be stopped in any way. And I think it's a, it's a very nice way to humans, for humans to be active on, on, their, on their lives. Uh, will we get the first, the, 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 yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, finally, will we go back to the moon in 2025, which is generally the mooted year the year suggested by nasa now in this so in my experience things never go really sharply by the calendar that they set at the beginning so it might not be 25 but definitely it's going to be in the upcoming years unless something major happens on earth and things get delayed even more but in principle i don't think there's a big uh, doubt that we will make it in the upcoming years i got some colleagues sending parts of experiments that might need mending. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think it's going to happen soon. Yeah. Would you go? That's for the moon. Uh, if, you, if you're going to talk about Mars or things like that, it, it's that completely different issue. And time scale, it's a little bit like nuclear fusion where, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're going to make it in 30 years. And this has been for 70 years now, always 30 years ahead. But yeah. Would you go to the, would you go to the moon? Well, depends who gave me the ride. Uh, let me first check the quality of the rockets. The Starship. If, if it's a good rocket, I will definitely go. <laughs> the Starship. Yeah, there must be a gorgeous, a gorgeous view from there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Luca. That's, uh, I think you're the first uh, astronaut trainer we've had on TNT Radio. <laughs> Fascinating job. Uh, let you get back to beautiful Italy. Uh, that is Luca Cerithavalbo, space and solar physicist astronaut trainer. What do you make of this? Do you think we should go to the moon? Would you go? Let me know in the chat. Uh, coming up next, we've got a man with a stellar knowledge of broadcasting and media output from the weekend. It's Neil Liversidge, uh, who's a political commentator and chairman of the uh, British Motorcycle Action Group. All of that coming up with me in just a moment here on TNT Radio. The climate agenda is a national security risk. Where do you hear this? 
From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. The climate and energy policies of California are threatening the security of residents. California has increased crude oil imports from foreign countries from 5% just 25 years ago to more than 75% today. According to Heartland analyst Ronald Stein, California is the only state in the United States that imports most of its crude oil feedstock to in-state refineries from foreign countries. California needs this oil for nine international airports and 41 military airports, as well as shipping ports up and down the coast. Meanwhile, Asia has 88 new oil refineries manufacturing fuel for California's airports and shipping terminals. It's time we recognize that the climate agenda is a national security threat. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. I want to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. I need to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. Why can't I eat, eat, eat apples and bananas? Support the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks to help provide meals to those in need. Join us at feedingamerica.org. Limbit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Quarter to eight, Greenwich Mean Time uh, for the whole of the UK. Uh, good early evening to you in Sydney and Melbourne. Good afternoon in Perth. Uh, and I hope you're having a nice night in America. Wherever you are joining us, uh, you're welcome to Lembitopic, uh, the Lembitopic show here on TNT Radio. Uh, we broadcast 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we are dedicated to being the home of free speech. So I'm so glad you're here. Now, we were talking about compliance and potential COVID lockdowns again in uh, Australia. Uh, Matt X says compliance has led to too many deaths with this bioweapon. A little research would have gone a long way from our forefathers but there is hope the awakening is happening hang on in there thanks uh, Matt X agreed with by Mazzy uh Holly says just about our astronaut trainer check out the quality of the rocket that's funny why not send all the parasites there Holly do we really want to send our parasites into space I, I think that there's still hope if we send the best people um Dodd says back to the moon not so sure about that I think he says Mazzy says one-way ticket and Chris says, I would go depending on how many trees I would have to plant. Not point, no much, much point in planting them on the moon unless they're in a giant dome, Chris. Keep your calls and comments coming there. Uh, as always, uh, let's take our uh, look back at the weekend and what's been going on in the news with our resident political commentator and actually chairman of the British Motorcycle Action Group as well. It's Neil Liversidge. Neil, good morning. Did you have a good weekend? Good morning, Lambert. Yes, a very good weekend. Thank you. Do yourself? Oh, yeah, not bad at all. Not bad at all. I'm uh, doing some building in the garden, actually, at the moment, and uh, had the excuse of doing none on Saturday because it was raining. <laughs> so I was very lazy that day. But I did watch the cricket. I don't normally watch cricket. Turns out most of Australia didn't. But there we go. Congratulations to Australia. But no one cares, Neil. Do you watch cricket? You must do. You're a northerner. Uh, no, I don't, actually. No, I do come from Yorkshire, which is the home of county cricket. But um, I could not be less interested. To be honest. I ride motorcycles. I don't do ball games. <laughs> well, you seem to be speaking for the majority of Australians as well. Uh, the, the, there's a big collective shrug whenever I say to my Australian friends, well done on winning the cricket. But anyway, that's obviously not going to feature in your news review. What have you got for us today? Well, I'm probably going to get hell for this um, and people are going to call me all sorts of nasty names, but so be it. 
Uh, did you do Latin when you were at school, Lembit? I did what? Did you do Latin, Latin. when you were at school? Yes, yes, I did. Yes, yeah, Quadra at Demonstrandum. I did Latin right, up to what was then O level, GCSE now. Right, well, you'll probably understand this. And I didn't do Latin because I didn't go to a posh school like you. I went to Bridgeshaw <laughs> Comprehensive, not Eton College. Um, but there's one bit of Latin I do know, and it's this Fiat justitia ruit sealim. Let justice be done, though the heavens fall. Now, um, any lawyers that were listening to this will recognise that phrase as being used by the English judge, Lord Mansfield, way back in 1772, when he gave a judgment in the case of Somerset versus Stewart. And this was the 1772 judgment upholding the right of an enslaved person on English soil, James Somerset, not to be forcibly removed from the United Kingdom and sent to Jamaica for sale. Jamaica at the time was a really cruel sugar plantation hellhole if you were a slave. Now, the people who were seeking to keep Mr Somerset enslaved said that it would endanger the peace of the realm and be ruinously expensive for slave owners if he were to be set free. At the time, there were about 15,000 slaves actually in mainland UK. All the same, in his judgment, Judge Mansfield said that however inconvenient it might be for some people, slave traders and slave owners in particular, obviously, slavery had never been authorised by statute in England and Wales, and nor was it supported by the common law, which applied equally to everybody, including the previously enslaved Mr Somerset. So when you hear all of that, remember the words of Lord Mansfield, and let justice be done, though the heavens fall. So the case I'm going to talk about started way back in 2018, and the mainstream media at the time reported that a young Syrian refugee boy named Jamal had been, in their words, waterboarded by a school bully in the West Yorkshire town of Huddersfield, and a local white British boy, Bailey, was the supposed perpetrator. And if you want to see what happened, you can find it on YouTube, just search for Syrian refugee waterboarded by bully in the UK and you'll find um, a YouTube video done by a nice American Muslim guy who gives his take on it, which you might think is not exactly unbiased. So but anyway, watch the film and make up your own minds. Seek the truth. That's all I'm saying and that's what I'm doing. Now, this video went viral. And the universally accepted version repeated by the mainstream media was that this boy was the innocent victim of an horrific racist attack. Case closed, or so it appeared. But then Mr. Stephen Yaxley Lennon got involved. Now, Mr. Yaxley Lennon is better known by his nom de guerre, Tommy Robinson. And that's how I'm going to refer to him in future, because it's a lot easier to say than Stephen Yaxley Lennon. So Tommy Robinson got involved. And as a result of his reporting, he was sued for libel by the alleged victim, Jamal. He lost the case. He got a big damages order. He's been bankrupted. This case has rumbled on, and Tommy Robinson's legal troubles have compounded ever since. Now, feeling that he'd been hard done by in the court, it seems that Tommy Robinson continued investigating the case, and he found evidence, he says, which points to a completely different version of events. And when I say he found evidence, specifically, he covertly recorded interviews with the key people involved. So Tommy Robinson interviewed the former chair of governors at the school. Now, she was very reticent um, about what she was saying because she'd signed a gagging order and she'd been paid some money. 
But she implied as well that the school staff had also been paid hush money to sign gagging orders. And she said that the alleged perpetrator in this apparent bullying incident was not actually the racist bully that he'd been made out to be. This was confirmed by a gentleman named Kumar. He admitted to being paid £18,000 to sign his gagging order. Tommy Robinson went on. He interviewed a young girl. Her face is pixelated out in this film Silence, which Tommy Robinson has put together. She alleges that Jamal called teachers bitches, that he had no respect for females, and that he deliberately hit her on the spine with a hockey stick after she successfully tackled him in a hockey game. He interviewed an adult woman who made the same allegations about Jamal, and more interviews all confirmed the same. They all alleged that Jamal himself was a bully who attacked numerous other pupils, and that again was confirmed by Kumar, who worked at the school at the time, who said that, in his words, Jamal was a pathological liar who'd often been put in isolation due to bad behaviour. Next, Mr Tommy Robinson interviewed a young male pupil. He said that Jamal had stabbed him. Another adult woman he interviewed said Jamal made rape threats against young girls at the school. And Kumar, again, who was working at the school at the time, he's a probation officer now, said that Jamal had been caught bringing a knife and a screwdriver into school. Another mother of a child at the school supplied some photographs of her daughter, who Jamal had allegedly bitten on the head in the middle of an attack on her by three other Muslim girls. So all of this has gone on. Tommy Robinson recorded these interviews. Probably the most explosive interview at all was an interview which he recorded with the former head teacher of the school where this alleged bullying incident happened. Now, this head teacher had lost his job and in return for a payment of taxpayers' money had signed a non-disclosure agreement put up by the local council, Kirklees, which covers Huddersfield, where this incident yeah. happened. So the head teacher got his payoff, cash, which he needed because the publicity from the case cost him his job and has made him, for all intents and purposes, unemployable in the profession of teaching. Now, that former head teacher says in the covert recording that this incident was a one-off and that the school had, in fact, received nine Syrian children in total and none of the others had any problems like this, the implication being that the alleged bullying incident was retaliation for the alleged victim's own behaviour. Now, let's go back to Kumar, Tommy Robinson interviewed. Kumar, as I, as I said already, is now working in the probation service. His take on this was that this incident was not a racist incident at all, but it would have happened, in his words, if the child was white, pink, blue, or whatever colour, and that, in essence, the alleged bullying incident was retaliation for bullying by him against others, including girl pupils. Now, even though Kumar didn't know that it was being recorded and it was very reticent because, in his own words, he was scared of losing his job and frightened of not getting another job in the public sector. Let's talk about these gagging orders, right? Kirkley's council didn't want to release how much money they paid out, but Tommy Robinson hit them with uh, a Freedom of Information Act request. And it eventually came out, they paid out £274,735 of council taxpayers' money to silence all the people who knew what had really happened. Now, all I'm saying, folks, is find out the truth for yourself. You can see all these interviews in the film which Tommy Robinson has made. It's called Silenced. 
It's on Rumble. You won't find it on YouTube. It's 103 minutes, 48 seconds long, completely unedited, and I recommend that you watch every minute of this. Now, as a result of everything that's gone on, Tommy Robinson is currently awaiting trial for contempt of court. I found that out when I got an email telling me this. I, I've searched it. I can't find a mention of it in the mainstream media anywhere. It's almost as though there is some conspiracy of silence and all the usual commentators have suddenly been struck dumb and don't want to talk about it. What's right here? I don't know because I don't know who's telling the truth. What I do know is that the interviews in this film raise some very troubling issues that need a public hearing if they're ever going to be resolved fairly and with justice. So there's here's six things I believe should happen. Number one, all the people that have signed non-disclosure agreements, everybody connected with this case, should be released from those agreements immediately so that they're free to talk. Number two, there should be a full public inquiry, and that inquiry should have all the powers of a criminal court at its disposal. Number three, the whole thing should be televised live on the internet so justice can be seen to be done. Number four, everybody involved should be subpoenaed and required to give evidence on oath, subject to full penalties of perjury, and anybody who refuses to give evidence should be held in contempt like Mr Robinson seems to be at the moment. Number five, if Tommy Robinson is lying and the evidence has somehow been faked, then he should be penalised according to the law. But if he's not lying and the people in the film are speaking the truth, then it's the people who have been prosecuting him that should themselves be penalised according to the law. Because I would argue, and I think most pe reasonable people would agree, that the course of justice has been perverted. And last, number six, if it's found that the money that was paid to get all these gagging orders was indeed intended to pervert the course of justice by silencing people who should have told the truth, then all of those people who signed off on that and paid out taxpayers' money to get these gagging orders should be prosecuted for corruption and should have to repay that money out of their own pockets to the public purse. Now, Rembit, it's fair enough to say that community relations in Huddersfield and surrounding towns like Batley and Dewsbury in West Yorkshire and towns like Bury in the adjoining county of Lancashire are very fragile. And this is because a large number of men from the British Pakistani Muslim community have been exposed as being members of the grooming gangs that have been sexually exploiting young girls from other communities. But even so, we have a right to know the truth, however inconvenient that may be for the courts or Kirkley's Council or community relations. So, in the words of Lord Mansfield, fiat justicia ruit sealing. Let justice be done, though the heavens fall. I have to say, your soliloquy raises so many points. We haven't got time to go through them. But your eloquence on the subject is fascinating. It's led to huge response in the uh, in the chat. Uh, um, one person says that apparently the school's now closed. Uh, others say, go for it, Neil. Uh, Holly says, love Neil, he doesn't draw breath, say it as it is. Uh, Neil, we're out of time, but I think you've raised a question and a series of questions. Now, clearly, this is a current issue. And uh, if colleagues want to, if, if listeners want to get involved, then do please get involved. Just a quick question. Has that school now closed? Um, I don't believe it has closed, but what quite often happens, I've found in situations yeah. like this is, yeah. 
the school closes for a period and they change the name and reopen it. So that may have yeah. happened. It's very unlikely that they've just basically trashed the building, given how short we are of schools. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you, Neil. Uh, we're out of time. I'm certainly going to look into that one as well and we shall return to it. That's Neil Liversedge uh, with a very specific single case. And we do campaign here uh, for freedom of speech and freedom of expression. We're out of time. That's two hours raced by thank you to the team for working with me today uh, thank you to all of our guests as well uh, and thank you to you the listeners for joining me on tnt radio i'll be back again at 6 a.m tomorrow on tnt radio i hope you've enjoyed the show i'm lemma this is tnt radio the home of free speech